This is a true crime podcast. It contains adult themes and content and may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. He said, you know what this is? I said, yeah, it's a razor blade. He said, I got you at my mercy, don't you? And here, they were guards and I was a convict. And that's the way it was. You knew where you were. He said, I wish you would just learn to behave like ladies. And uh, he said, if you draw any blood, I'll kill every man in there. So the man dropped the knife and turned to the other men that were with him that he had set loose out of the very cells and said, well, he means it. He'll kill us if we don't give up. So they gave up. You do your own number. You do your own time. If you hear something, you keep it within yourself. If you see something, you're blind to it. I don't care if it's, if it's uh, a killing or whatever. You just don't see it. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Behind Gray Walls, a podcast about the men and women that serve time behind the prison walls in the Idaho State Penitentiary. My name is Anthony. And my name is Sky. Hi, Sky. Hi, Anthony. <laughs> We've got a, an interesting uh, episode for you all today. It's kind of an experiment. Yeah, we're going to try something new today because uh, many of the female inmates came in with men for various reasons, uh, mm-hmm. you know, from... Crimes ranging from forgery to, you know, murder, as we have discussed with Josie before, they often come in with other men and um, other men with men, period. Uh, so we wanted to try sort of an experiment where we do the couple's story together. Yeah. Um, so if this goes good, then hopefully we'll do more. And if mm-hmm. not, then we will just do them separately yes. like we have done with Josie and, and with uh uh thomas mm-hmm. william howard thomas this season so yes um i guess let us know on our facebook page or on our instagram what you guys think of this mm-hmm. and um so yeah we'll just today um we are going to talk about jenny daly and william henry hicks fred bond that's quite the name yes um, we'll get through all of that too <laughs> do you want me to start uh yeah okay yeah i think so all right so we'll start with jenny um i am fascinated by her she's it's i incredible i guess is a a word that i could use to describe (laughs) her like not necessarily in a good way (laughs) um all right so my sources before i start again just like usual her inmate file ancestry.com there are a, quite a few Idaho Daily Statesman articles. Mm-hmm. Anthony is the best. And several years ago, he, I'm assuming years ago, he photographed the trial transcript that, yes. is that in the archives? It is at the archives, yeah. yeah. How many pages was that? Um, a lot. I skipped I, through oh, most of it because, yes. yeah. so didn't you say you thought it was like 200 it's, pages? I think it was like 200, 240. I remember when I did it. I'll get to my sources, and there's mm-hmm. a particular person in my sources who I was trying to send all these transcripts to, oh, yeah. and it was right after I got a new computer, I had printed this 240-page transcript that I had copied, and then got my new computer, and it was gone. All of this oh, work I created man. was gone. So Well, luckily, so he sorry, had printed Andrew. out a hard copy that <laughs> yes. I could use, uh, so... Thank, thank you for doing that. Oh, yeah. And then there's just a plethora of Library of Congress Chronicling America articles, uh, and they're from almost nearly every Western state. They all reported on the case, and you'll see why that is mm-hmm. in a little bit. Um, so lots of sources uh, to look at for her. Now, Jenny Daly was born in February, probably 1884. Some sources say as early as 1882. Mm -hmm. Her prison records say 1884. So she's probably born somewhere between those three years, two years, 82 to 84, uh, probably in Illinois. And this is really based on her parents' marriage records. Her father, his name was Lafayette Myers, and her mother was Barbara Woods. The parents eventually divorced. Don't know the year on that divorce. According to census records, both of them remarried, and neither one really appeared to care too much for Jenny. Mm. Um, According to an Idaho Daily Statesman article who, I don't know if they interviewed her or they made up her story, but this is according to the article, because that's what newspapers would do back then. So according to this newspaper article, she never knew her father, and she lived with her mother for only two years before Mm. she, her mother turned Jenny out to the streets. 
Then Jenny was taken in by a humane society, probably a religious one. Mm -hmm. She did say on her her battalion that she went to Sunday school. So it was probably like a a, a Salvation Army or Mm -hmm. something like that. And then from the Humane Society, she was placed in a reform school. She left school to begin work, probably her mid, early to mid-teens, I would imagine. Wow. By 1900, when Jenny was about 16, she was living with a paternal uncle in St. Louis, Missouri. And she begins working in a house of a bachelor, we're assuming. I don't know if he was ever married before. His name was Charles Daly. Hmm. So not long after so she's, they... So she's working at Charles She's Daly's working house. there, yeah, okay. like as a housekeeper, okay. um, from what I can tell. And um, not long after she begins working for him, in fact, it's only about mm, three days, on October 2nd, 1900, she marries Charles Daly in St. Louis. Three days after she starts working for him, right. they get married. Yes. Oh, my gosh. And, and how old is she? So she is, some records say 15, but if 1884 uh, is her birth date, she would have been 16. Oh. Still. It's very young. Because here's the other thing. Charles is 42 years older than Jenny. He is 56 at the Mm. time that they get married. So what this means to me is three days after she starts working for him and there's such a huge age gap, this is probably a marriage of convenience for both of them because Charles gets a housewife out of the arrangement. He doesn't have to worry about cleaning and cooking and Mm -hmm. doing all that stuff. And Jenny gets out of her family's house, which mm-hmm. from what we can tell is probably a good thing. So, um, yeah, she's escaping poverty through mm-hmm. marriage. Which is not uncommon, unfortunately. Right. Mm-hmm. I would say that Josie probably did many mm-hmm. of the women that right. we have looked at already and will look at in the future do that. It's <sighs> it's especially in wow. the early 20th century, this is pretty common. It's mm-hmm. a pretty common path for women. So Charles works for a gas company in St. Louis. And in the first few years of their marriage, they sort of bounce from town to town in the Midwest. They lived in Michigan and Detroit, uh, which is in Michigan. Mm. They eventually end up back in St. Louis in Missouri. In 1902, Jenny gives birth to their daughter, whose name is Charlotte, which is the feminine version of Charles. Kind of cute, I guess. And then in 1904, Charles decides to move the family to Boise. Not really sure why, but... There's gas companies in Boise, so he can work there. Yeah, yeah. Now, this may come as no surprise, uh, but Charles and Jenny's marriage is pretty tumultuous, and Mm. they tend to fight quite a bit. So this is according to Jenny's cousin in in Missouri. She says, during one fight, it got so escalated that Charles drew a pistol on Jenny and threatened to kill her. Wow. I think they tended to fight a lot more verbally, but it... It's not unreasonable to think that the abuse would have gotten physical. Pulling a gun on somebody is yeah. a last resort. That is yeah. a, a, an extreme step to, yeah. to escalate to from verbal fighting. Right. And it's interesting. This is according to Jenny's own testimony that he tended to get more physically violent when he perceived that she was mistreating their child. Oh. So he like really loved this child. So there is one example where that she says that once she had breastfed Charlotte and he hadn't seen her and the baby was crying and he was like, oh, she's hungry. You need to feed her. And she was like, no, I already fed her. And he was like, you need to feed her. Like, and so he got pretty violent then. There was also another time where she tells the story about how she was trying to take care of the baby, like change the baby, but she had left some of the stuff in the kitchen because that was back when like cloth diapers and stuff. And Mm -hmm. so she said the baby was like two. So she was probably walking and she was like, okay, like mama needs you to stay here. Mm -hmm. And the baby got up and I don't know if Jenny got angry or what happened, but Charles thought she was going to quote whip the baby. And so he got super mad and was like, gonna hit her. So there is evidence of the fact that this is not a great uh, marriage. So uh, 1904, the Dailies are now in Boise. Um, They first move to a boarding house and they meet another rumor. His name is William Henry Hicks Bond. Ah. And so um, they meet him there and we'll get into that in just a second. Again, Charles is working for that local gas company. And then the Dailies move to a house on 414 North 3rd Street in downtown Boise, which is between Jefferson and State Street. Yes. And so this is where I will let you pick up with our, our the Dailies new comrade. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Comrade <laughs> just said Bond. That. Yes. Okay. So um, my 
fella. His, he was actually born Harry Hicks Bond, and he's born illegitimately in a workhouse in Cornwall, England, in November of uh, 1878. But his birth isn't registered until January 1879. His name seems to have changed to William shortly after his birth. So he becomes William Harry Hicks Bond. And William Harry Hicks Bond was sent to his grandmother's home to be raised. And for clarification of this whole episode, we're going to call him Fred, because that's what he was known locally in Boise as mm-hmm. and in Idaho mm-hmm. as, is mm-hmm. Fred Bond. Mm-hmm. But that was just a nickname, his true name, Harry Hicks Bond. And I have to go back and explain my sources yes. and how I know so much about this uh-huh. fella. So, of course, the Idaho Statesman, Library of Congress, Chronicling American Newspapers, his file, the court transcripts, the Pacific Reporter, Volume 86, which contains you know Idaho Supreme Court decisions. Those are fascinating to read. And the biggest resource was actually a relative who's living in England. He's from England, named Andrew Hill. So Andrew, there's a shout out to you. Uh, he reached out to me sometime in last fall. He knew that he had a, a great, great ancestor who had served time at the old pen. And, you know, we're going to explain the whole his whole story here. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's done a lot of ancestry research and, and shared a lot of this with me. So I asked his permission if I could talk about him in our conversations and, and all his research in this episode. And, you know, graciously, he said yes. And uh, so... Basically, he helped me recount what Cornwall was like okay. at this point and Fred's upbringing. So because he's born illegitimately in this like hardworking Christian family, he's raised by his grandmother and she mm-hmm. kind of raises him as a son. Okay. So when he actually arrives at the prison, he lists her as his mother. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, even though his mother is actually still alive at this point. Right. So... Cornwall, this is in the southwesternmost county, bordered by the Celtic Sea to the north and west and the English Channel to the south. So it's that little pointer finger down at the bottom left corner of of England, right? (laughs) And, uh, you know, Cornwall, the civilization goes back like prehistoric times. They Mm -hmm. found stone tools and things. So it's a really rich cultural heritage. In 2014, Mm -hmm. they actually, you know, consider the Cornish people their own ethnic minority. Basically, through the 1800s, they were mining copper and tin in Cornwall, England. Most of those mines dried up in the mid-1800s, so they moved to um, China clay, clay that you collect to make fine china and porcelain. And it's also used for ceramics and toothpaste, cosmetics, paint, paper, whitewash, and it's a blood clotting tool. Yeah, I was trying to like learn more about this, this China. So as a working class family, The Bonds basically had three options, working in agriculture, fishing, or digging China. But Fred's brother found a a new new out, and so he traveled to the United States to start working in the mines again, Mm -hmm. continuing this Cornish tradition. So around, how was it, 1900, 1903, Fred first visits the United States, and Mm -hmm. and he visits Michigan first, about 1900, 1903. And then his last trip to the United States, he arrives at Ellis Island with his grandfather on February 28th, 1904, and they are heading to Delamar, Idaho. Okay, we've talked about that before. Exactly, yeah. So if you remember the, uh, we just mentioned his name, uh, William Thomas. Uh, we talk a lot about Delamar and its history and its importance in, in the Owyhee County uh, mining industry, and it's right next to Silver City. So Fred does not strike it rich. He actually moves into this boarding house in Boise and begins working in a sanitarium. And in July 1904, a couple named Charles and Jenny move into the same boarding house, and Jenny immediately catches Fred's eye. Mm -hmm. Jenny is a teenager, and her husband, whom at first he probably thinks is her father, is in his 50s. And uh, this odd couple had traveled from the Midwest, and uh, like Fred, they were were just trying to start a new life and Mm -hmm. and start Mm -hmm. something new. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Where do we go from here? So, hmm, what happens next? All right. So as I said, <laughs> they they save up enough money to be able to buy a house. Mm-hmm. And so they move in and they all become 
chums, as they might say in England. Mm -hmm. And so Fred actually moves into this house with the couple. Yeah, he's invited in like yes. lovingly yes. by Charles and, and Jenny. Here's a weird thing, though. Um, Charles and Jenny don't sleep in the same room. Mm -hmm. It's Charles and Fred that sleep in the same room, well, uh, just a little room off the kitchen. <laughs> and Jenny gets the full-size bedroom, uh, which she shares with Charlotte, who is a baby yes. and who does not probably sleep in the same bed as her. So... Mm -hmm. I mean, that might give you an indication of the state of their marriage as well. It's mm -hmm. a little strange. Again, I mean, I'm not married, but maybe I just imagine that it's not normal to sleep in two separate rooms when you love someone. But again, who am I to say? I'm yeah. just very single. I've it, never shared a bed with anyone in my life. Yeah. So. And I, I, I almost, part of this to me, it might be that since she's raising this, this baby, mm -hmm. that Maybe that's why she's separate since he's that, a working I mean, that, man. And, that has but, to be the, the I mean, reason she gave for it is like, right. I, I can't have you trumpet because he tends to come home from what I can tell. He comes mm. home a little bit late some nights. And so she probably is like, I can't have you tromping in and waking up the baby. Mm -hmm. Just fair. Yeah. But it's it's just it's very funny detail to it me. It is. Yeah. Yeah. The, like the idea of. Charles and Fred sleeping in the same room together. Yep. It's yep. just. <laughs> yep. Very, very weird. Yes. So. As uh, Anthony mentioned, Jenny and Fred become very close because mm -hmm. Jenny and Fred are much closer in age than Jenny and Charles. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Jenny's in her late teens, early 20s. She's a fairly attractive woman. She's got kind of a, a striking look to her, dark haired, just generally pretty, pretty mm -hmm. woman. And since she's so young, she likes to go out on the town a little bit. Mm -hmm. So... One one evening, there's a carnival uh, out in Riverside Park, and she asks Charles they, if he would like to go. And obviously, Fred would come with him. And he uh, he kind of was like, you know, I don't really want to go. Why don't you go with Fred? Yeah. So she goes with Fred, and they get along. They get along pretty well. And this starts to become kind of a regular thing where mm -hmm. he's in his probably early 60s, late 50s, early 60s. She is um, 40 years younger. You know, it's basically you and your parents or you and your grandparents. You mm -hmm. just don't have the same energy level. When you're younger, you want to go experience stuff. When you're older, you already have. Right. So he starts to give basically this permission for Fred to take Jenny out, mm -hmm. um, which they, they do. Uh, frequently and they pretty much go everywhere together yeah. and this starts to cause some gossip around town now put a pin in this this is going to be important uh here in a few minutes everything that i say from now on is going to be from jenny's account so whether this is true or whether it's not we're not totally sure fred is going to have his own account of things which obviously i will hand over to anthony <laughs> The truth is probably somewhere in the middle of mm -hmm. this account. We obviously don't know. If we had a time machine, I would love to go see what actually happened, but that has not been invented yet. If you are close to that, inventing that, please let me know. Yeah. Because uh, that's, that's all I that's all I want. That's all I want in life. <laughs> so during the day of October 5th, 1904, Jenny and Fred are again together around town. Starting mid-afternoon, they start running some errands. They go to a couple different grocery stores, they buy some stuff. And here's another thing they do. Well, Jenny does. She rents a gun. Oh yeah. Yeah, As normal. You do. Mm -hmm. yeah. Which again, I that to me is that is a funny thing that they're just renting guns. Yeah. I, don't, I I'm not a gun person. I don't think you can rent yeah. guns usually for 70 the, cents for yes, 2 Yes, for days. 70 cents. Yeah. And the shop owner taught her how to sh mm -hmm. how to fire it, uh -huh. how to hold it and fire uh -huh. it. Yeah. Uh -huh. So wow. she admits herself that she goes into the store, she rents a gun and ammunition shells for mm -hmm. 70 cents. And she says that Fred, she and Fred purposely had him stay outside the shop. Um, he had Charlotte in like her little stroller Almost, pram yeah, and was just like yeah. wheeling her up and down the sidewalk. And this is so that he is not implicated <laughs> in what's come, what comes next. So Jenny and Fred return home around 6 p.m. that evening. At some point, Jenny probably is going to start making dinner. So she puts on an apron and then places the gun in the apron pocket. Charles comes home from work at the gas company pretty late around 11.30 p.m. Mm -hmm. And he's got a satchel slung around his shoulder that has some papers from work. And he sits down on the couch in the front room and he takes off his shoes and he pulls off his tie and he's starting to take off his shirt. And he starts looking at papers and saying, oh, I have to work tomorrow and I just want to go to bed or whatever. And then Jenny starts to pick a fight with him. And she tells him that Fred told her the things that was being said about Fred and Jenny. And... This comes back to, remember, those rumors that start swirling about these two. So here is her testimony from the transcript of the trial. So 
She says, I asked him if he thought it was proper to go to men and talk about his wife the way he did. He denied it and said he didn't say any such thing. I didn't tell him that Fred had told me what he'd said down to the office, but I told him I'd heard it from someone. He asked me who this someone was. So the who he'd heard, who she'd heard that this this rumor was from. I described the gentleman as friend told me to describe him. He was tall, light-complected man with a broken arm or something wrong with his arm. My husband said it was a lie, that he didn't think any stranger would come down to speak to me in such a manner as that. He did blame it on Fred for telling me, and we had some words about it. Fred said that he never told it. That is when he ordered him out of the house before any other trouble occurred. He was laying down on the sofa. He had his shirt off then. He had taken off his shoes. Then, according to Jenny, Charles asks Jenny if she loves Fred, and she said that she did. Mm -hmm. So then Charles turns to Fred, and he says, did you hear that, Fred? And Fred says, yep, I heard it. And he says, I guess my wife has no more use for me. And he starts to put his shoes back on. So at this point, Jenny goes into the kitchen, and Fred follows her, and he says, now is the time. And she says, I I can't shoot it. So he reaches into, because she's got her hand in her pocket against Mm -hmm. the gun, and he reaches into the pocket, and jerks the gun out of her hand, and he says, give it to me, I will. So Fred then goes into the parlor. Charles is leaning over, I'm assuming, like trying to tie his shoes. And he shoots Charles, hitting him in the chest until the gun was out of bullets. Now, Jenny says she didn't think the gun was full. So probably three to four rounds, I would imagine. Um, Shoots him in the chest. And then the shots don't kill Charles. So after a few minutes... Charles starts to make some noises. So Fred comes into the kitchen, pulls a hatchet out of the dining room drawer, and then struck Charles in the head with it before handing it back to Jenny, and Jenny puts it back in the drawer. Then, for good measure, Fred takes the gun, puts it close to Charles' chest, and fires again, basically shooting him through the heart. That gun is so close that blood spatter gets up on the gun, which is not a thing that happens very often when you are shooting someone takes a lot of blood to get blood spatter on the gun so jenny then stretches out charles body on the floor covers it with a blanket goes into her room writes a letter to some family in st louis and then goes to bed just leaving the body out there now this it needs to be said that this is actually jenny's second story um in her first story pretty much the details of of how his death happens are the same but she says that she is the one who pulls the trigger and hits him in the head with the hatchet Mm -hmm. she said that her story changed because originally fred had told her to take the blame for it because she was more likely to get off than he was um There is also some speculation, and this is in the trial transcript, that some officials had persuaded Jenny to change her story in order to convict Fred. Mm -hmm. But that official, of course, says, no, of course I didn't tell her to change her story. So who knows what the truth is there. Fred goes to get the sheriff in the morning. The the body has been laying there for a good six hours at least. He ran to the police station like break of dawn yeah. and yelled a woman has killed her husband at 414 North 3rd Street if you like the podcast please consider making a donation you can do that by going to store.history.idaho.gov slash donation.aspx be sure to click the behind gray walls podcast tab on the left side of the page any donation amount is appreciated and will go toward improving the quality of this podcast, enabling us to bring you the stories that we love and that we hope you love too. Please like and follow our Facebook page, Old Idaho Penitentiary. From there, you can connect with us directly by joining the Behind Gray Walls podcast group, where you can find the mugshots of the inmates featured in today's episode, supplementary images of the penitentiary, and discussions between group members. We'd love to see you there. So when authorities arrive, Jenny is getting dressed. She's pretty calm about the whole thing when they arrest her. And and so then I will turn it over to you. So let's right. hear kind of the opposite side yes. of that coin. So Jenny was arrested right away. And Bond actually attempted to leave the scene right after reporting to the police. But, you know, they capture him mm-hmm. and arrest him mm-hmm. as well. And on the way to the station, Jenny admits repeatedly that she had done the act, that it was better Charles die than her. And she states on the witness stand that Charles had arrived home late and smelling like whiskey. He began berating Jenny for being up late with the baby and began arguing. Fearing for her life, she grabbed the gun that she had rented that day and shot Charles in the kitchen. Bond heard the argument and gunshot left his room, but Jenny pulled the revolver on him and told him to stay in the bedroom. Jenny then went to bed, and Bond was awoken again at 3 a.m. when Jenny shot Charles point-blank in the chest when he rose from the floor. And so this is Fred's 
version of it that Jenny fired all the shots and and Fred was basically told to stay out of it, stay in his room and stay away. Well, why don't so, you why don't you tell us what happens next with Fred? Well, Fred fully collaborates the story Jenny gave until the recess when she changes her story mm-hmm. and says that Fred did all of the firing. Uh, he stuck to his original story. Um, that he was just present in this domestic order that got out of hand. His lawyer questioned Jenny for five straight hours, catching her in many lies, mm-hmm. including her false age to marry Daly in the mm-hmm. first place. This is a big turn, but it came trembling down when a letter was produced from Fred that showed how he had influenced Jenny, making him just as guilty as Jenny. And this is that letter that, that she wrote to her family members. Mm-hmm. The jury heard the case and after many hours sentenced Jenny with manslaughter. And the judge was dismayed by all of this, and he didn't believe that the jury could find any premeditation or malice in her husband's murder. Here, I um, actually have the actual quote of that. Yes, please. So, well, so it's actually kind of interesting mm-hmm. how big this trial is. Yeah, it's so it's big huge. that there is a German newspaper in Indianapolis, Indiana, that picks up this story. Like wow. that's how big this trial is. <laughs> the Germans, they care about it. <laughs> And as, as Anthony said, her defense team is very, very careful while she's on the stand mm-hmm. not to implicate her in this crime. Yeah. A number of times during the trial transcript, she'd answer a question and then the defense would object because, quote, if she answers it, it might tend to incriminate her, mm-hmm. which is like, isn't that the point of exam- like cross-examination? Right, but I don't yeah. know. And uh, like, and the, if, oh, this yeah. would come up in his, in his later appeals mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, after he gets sentenced and the judge would continue to yeah. hold Well, and like so. there were a few times that she would like slip up and say something mm-hmm. that she wasn't supposed to and then she'd be like, I was mistaken about that. Like oh, she would legit try to take gosh. it back and, the, and again, the defense would, would try to object and ask that that statement be stricken from the record and a lot of times it was like mm-hmm. crazy. There is also some question as to the state of the apron that she wore mm-hmm. when this all happened. Um, one witness says that there is no blood on the apron when he examined it. So there were obviously quite a few people come in and tromp through the house mm-hmm. after the crime. And so one guy, she had taken off, obviously, the apron. And so he said, there's no blood on it. There's another, there's another witness that says there is blood on it. And guess where it is? in her possession. This is in very, very early 20th century. They just don't have the crime scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? We... (laughs) You all know what word I'm trying to say here, and you're all screaming it at me. Crime scene. Crime scene. Protocol. Protocol. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, and so what happens is, is there are a couple pieces of clothing, and the main one is actually Charles's shirt that they keep, yeah. and they end up just leaving the apron in the house. So. Jenny is actually allowed to return to the house after her arrest to collect clothing, probably for jail, because women didn't have to wear the uniforms. Plus, she's just kept in the county jail for a Mm -hmm. little bit. And guess what she grabs? Her apron. And so she actually admits, like, yeah, I have it. There's no blood on it, obviously. Very, very shoddy work. So, as you said, Jenny is found guilty of manslaughter by the jury, and even the judge is shocked. So this is according to an Idaho Daily Statesman article from February 23rd, uh, 1905. It says, when the verdict was announced, Judge Stewart addressing the jurymen said he presumed that they had duly weighed the evidence before deciding upon the verdict. He could not understand, however, said the judge, by what process of reasoning the jurymen had concluded that Mrs. Daly had killed her husband without premeditation, malice, or revenge. It was the duty not only of the courts, but of the jurors as well, he added, to see that the laws were enforced impartially. This verdict, however, he concluded, was that of the jury, and it therefore would stand. Yeah. And he gave her as much time as he could, mm-hmm. 10 years mm-hmm. in prison. So why don't you tell us what happens with Fred? Fred is convicted of murder in the first degree and sentenced to the ultimate punishment, hanging. And he is set to hang on August 10th, 1906. He arrives at the prison on February 18th, 1905. He's given the number 1091 and... He would have been held in, in the death row cells in the 1890s cell house, like the, the two men that were executed before him. He states his age is 26 years old. He's born in Cornwall. His legitimate occupation is minor. He had served an apprenticeship. His height, any guesses? 5'3". Uh, Five foot, one and a half inches oh, tall. Oh, yeah. yeah, he's so a little So he was guy. kind of a dapper gentleman. Guy. Uh, he had a dark complexion. He weighed 135 pounds. 
Uh, he had dark black hair and, and a black mustache. He f- listed his father as dying when he was 25. And so this was like a year before he came here. But his mother at this point was still alive. And by December of that year, she and her brother would, would die, you know, oh, awaiting wow. this execution. So, mm-hmm. you know, Fred's grandmother, who raised him like a, a son, lost her two children and this, you mm-hmm. know, grandson mm-hmm. of hers in, you know, in a period of, of two years here between 1905 and 1906. He uh, lists 21 as the age when he leaves home and he was raised in the Episcopal Church, went to Sunday school, had seven years of common education, and he wore a size six boot <laughs> and a big mustache on his face. <laughs> yeah. What, what was... Jenny's intake like. So, yeah, her Bertillion is pretty simple. She is 21. She says she's 21 when she comes in. She's born in Illinois, as I said. Her legitimate occupation was a housekeeper. Mm. Her complexion is listed as blonde, which is interesting. She actually has dark hair. Her hair is auburn, according to her intake form her mm. she's auburn hair hazel eyes she's probably a pretty good pretty good looking woman um this is always my favorite thing and this happens pretty frequently is her her marital or conjugal relation is listed as widow oh, yeah. i i had some confusion this is actually one of the first biographies i wrote and i wrote it several several months ago and i got a little confused because there is actually a newspaper article that incorrectly states that she had been married before uh, her marriage to charles, charles. daly oh. and so i not realizing that that they were meaning Charles, I was like, oh, that poor thing like lost a husband. <sighs> this is always what happens when women kill or have something happen with their husbands mm-hmm. is they list themselves as a widow. And I want to be like, you can't, that doesn't count. Yeah, like you're yeah. a widow because you killed them. Right. Was that like a black widow? Right. Totally. Yeah, isn't that, oh. So that, you know, a widow is like both of my grandmothers who had their, you know, their husbands pass. Those are widows. Mm-hmm. You're not a widow if you kill your husband. That doesn't. Anyway, yeah. I always think that's funny. Oh. She says both of her parents are living, but she doesn't say when she left home. Maybe because she mm-hmm. doesn't know. Maybe because she just doesn't want to talk about it. Had religious instruction. Attended Sunday school, as I said. She was raised Methodist. She attended school for two years. And here's an interesting thing. So, you know, they ask for the name and address of their nearest relative. She says, she gives the name of her mother, which is Barbara Ann Daly. And I was like, wait a minute. Her her mother wouldn't have the same last name as her because Daly is Charles' last name. Wow, okay. So I, thankfully, Ancestry came in in the clutch here. Her mother remarried a man his name was kales daly spelled the exact same way, no way as charles's last name i couldn't find a connection but that seems so coincidental mm-hmm. like maybe they were related somehow which i think is gross probably <laughs> depending on the relation like if they were brothers and first of all, which brother is older? Because the mom could have easily married Charles's Either younger one. brother. Like, oh, <laughs> uh, so I was just like, I, I need to know the details behind that, but I couldn't yeah. find any because they didn't. I couldn't even find Charles on Ancestry oh. because Charles Daly is actually a fairly common name. Not yeah. surprising. Yeah. And and uh, her her stepfather Kales didn't have. He only had him listed in the census records where he was married to her mother already. So oh. there weren't any that went further back. So that's kind of, that's, that's, that's isn't that crazy? It is. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so Jenny enters the prison on, on February 25th, 1905. So this is um, from a daily statesman article from the next day, February 26th. It says, quote, Mrs. Daly received her sentence with a smile and seemed to be glad the tension was over. She fondled her little daughter, shook hands, and chatted gaily with her friends, and appeared to be delighted at the prospect of a change in quarters. Before leaving the county jail, she distributed articles of clothing and trinkets among her friends. Making allowance for my good behavior, said Mrs. Daly, I will only be in prison for six years and three months, and I will still be a young woman when I get out. Uh, this is still part of the article. When Mrs. Daly sprang into the penitentiary wagon beside Warden Ackley, she seemed to be in high spirits. On her arrival at the penitentiary, where she was placed with the other female convicts, she ate a hearty luncheon and showed unusual cheerfulness. 
An interesting fact is she was the only white female inmate when she entered. Uh, she shared the new women's ward. I think at that point, they'd just been moved out to mm-hmm. that new warden's house or the old warden's house. Mm-hmm. She shared that building with Susie Duffy and Bessie Conway, who were both African-Americans. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then during her time in prison, she would be joined by nine other female inmates and um, was actually the only female inmate left upon her release. The most recent one who had been released was Mary Smith, who was in for adultery, and she had been released just a couple months before Jenny was. So why don't you tell us about what comes next? Yes. So Fred is awaiting execution and he's waiting for August 10th, 1906. His lawyer's attempts to appeal but his sentence is fixed the supreme court affirms death sentence of bond and this is a newspaper article man convicted of murder of charles daly must suffer penalty action of district court is sustained appeal was taken from order overruling motion for new trial and judgment Heirs assigned appellant claimed court erred in not allowing motion and set aside information on grounds that witness for the state wife of daly and person also accused of the murder refused to answer certain questions asked in cross-examination. Which she did exactly. several times where they would, and the, the lawyer, she would, they would ask a question and said, I'm not going to answer that. And oh. he would, the lawyer would turn to the, the judge and say, make her answer it. And she, he would say like, you need to answer it. And she would say, I refuse to answer that question. Yeah. So Fred gets rejected several times and he is set with a final meal and a meeting with a priest. And uh, they ate together on August 9th, 1906. They had ham, fried eggs, toast, potatoes, sliced tomatoes, pie, and coffee. It's not a bad last meal. Yeah. It sounds pretty good to yeah. me. 6 a.m. on August 10th, 1906, he met with the warden who wakes him up and, and reads him his death warrant. And he shook his hand and said, goodbye, Fred. And Fred responded by saying, goodbye, warden. And as he's let out, of his cell he he looks to the men in the other cells and he just he shouts i want to thank you for the way you've treated me here goodbye boys all of you oh mm. just so heartbreaking when i read that mm. uh they led him to the gallows and he didn't need any help walking up to the scaffold the newspaper said he showed not a trace of emotion nor of nervousness his face was not even pale His shoulders were thrown back, his chin was raised, and his eyes were calm and lustrous as he walked with firm steps toward his doom. He stood on the gallows with a small crowd of men who were involved in the case watching. The warden asked if he had anything to say, and he stated, You may not think I am not brave. I am. I will show you that I can go through the trap bravely. I trust in God. After buckling straps around his sides and ankles and putting the noose around his neck, Fred had a moment more to say, I am guilty of a whole lot, but not of all. God bless you all. May the Lord have mercy on my soul. The executioner put the black hood over his face, and at 1611 a.m., the trap was pulled and Fred Bond fell through the floor. He was pronounced dead six minutes later at 617 a.m. They put him in a casket and a, and a pine box and... Because his family was residing all the way in Cornwall, England, they traveled to the prison cemetery um, mm. just south of the wall uh, where the Addo Botanical Gardens kind of now resides, tucked in the foothills. And he's buried in one of the many unmarked graves up there. Wow. Yeah. I mean, so like talking about executions, you know, as we mm-hmm. talk about them the the emotion i feel is removed from it where we can as right people those of us who've worked here forever we can say yes these executions happened mm-hmm. they were all about hanging this is where the death row was mm-hmm. but it is so different to think about it in terms of that these were human beings and to hear their last words and to hear about their final meals and to like put yourself in those shoes like you are facing death there is nothing you can do mm-hmm. to get out of it and facing death has always been something that has been like very curious to me because mm-hmm. it seems like the most frightening and yet like perhaps such a relief for him you know he said i trust in god so mm-hmm. he does kind of have this like relief coming of knowing whether he did or whether he didn't do it right you know I just, I cannot even imagine. And I, you know, good for him for, I I mean, he is a victim of this crime just as much, Mm -hmm. I think. Because, you know, to go back to what the the judge said, it's that, you know, I can't believe that they just gave her manslaughter. 
I agree. I think I have to agree with him. Like right. how she's the one who rented the gun. Like how in the world could you? And she admitted that that wasn't one of those things that she tried to pass off to Fred. She right. straight up said like, no, I went and I rented it and he taught me how to shoot it. And you know, how in the world? Yeah. And word never actually made it to Cornwall about oh. his death. A- Andrew actually thinks that the family may have tried to keep it kind of a secret, kind of keep mm. it quiet um, by not letting these newspapers know oh. what was happening with their family. Yeah. He also said that he he spoke to his mother mm-hmm. about Fred after he learned all this stuff about his, mm. you know, his great ancestor here. And his mother spoke to her brother, mm-hmm. so his uncle, uh-huh. and uh, about the hanging. And she was surprised to learn that his uncle, that the brother, had actually heard about it in the 1950s from their father. But he thought it was it was like some sort of cruel joke or something. And Andrew actually said, uh, my mom was very surprised her father had never told her the story. I guess it may have been a shocking tale to tell a young girl in the 1950s, which kind of kind of makes sense. So yeah. we've kind of helped flesh out this story yeah, for this family totally. that, you know, he just kind of stumbled across this. And ah, thank you, Andrew, so much for yeah. all your help in, in research and understanding. Yeah. William Henry Hicks, Fred Bond. Absolutely. Well, you may be wondering how Jenny took Fred's execution because after all, she had literally killed her husband over the love of this man. You know, Mm -hmm. she straight up said, yes, I do love him just before, minutes before he was shot. Well, um, according to an Idaho Daily Statesman article from August 12th, 1906, makes it very clear the title of the article is Jenny Daly doesn't care, entirely undisturbed by death by hanging of Fred Bond. So I'm just going to read you a little bit because this is a fascinating uh, article. So it says, quote, perhaps there is no convict in the state penitentiary, said one of the guards from the prison yesterday, who is exhibited as little interest and compassion regarding the execution of William Henry Hicks Bond as Mrs. Jenny Daly, widow of the man whom Bond was convicted of killing and the woman who is now serving time for the part she took in the murders. Jenny Daly had absolutely nothing to say regarding Bond's death. She asked no questions regarding the execution. She has shown no, no curiosity to know what sort of a confession the man made before he was hanged. She has shown no sorrow for the man, for the love of whom she'd consented to the killing of her husband, Charles Daly. The guards at the prison regard Jenny Daly as a woman with a heart of stone. She seems to have no conscientious regrets for the past. Until Friday afternoon, the The fact that Bond was about to be hanged was kept from her. When, after the execution had taken place, she was informed of the matter, she appeared unsurprised and undisturbed. She asked no questions and exhibited no emotion. Now, um, there was an article I found, and it was actually published only, I think, like a week after this crime had happened. Mm -hmm. And this was in my, my outline, like, before... And so this is from the Statesman article, October 16th, 1904. It says, quote, in these cells, the two are waiting, waiting, sleeping soundly when others in a similar position would be racked with nightmare, eating heartily when others would choke, blithe when others would be plunged in perpetual gloom. Truly a remarkable pair. Now, in this same article, it talks about it's like one of the first sentences of, of this article is about how. Fred basically turned on Jenny mm-hmm. as soon as as he, they were they were arrested and when she found that out she quickly pretty much wanted nothing to do with him yeah. pa- perhaps maybe part of the reason she changed her testimony like she was mad at him and so that may have had something to do with this callous attitude mm-hmm. at his execution where she was just like well he like he turned on me so I don't really care right so uh yeah that's well, that's rough so um jenny daly was released on may 25th 1911 after serving six years and three months <sighs> just as she said she would still a young woman still a young woman wow. um so yeah she would have been 20 26 27 years old she planned on returning to st louis where her grandmother lived mm. Members of the local Women's Christian Temperance Union actually accompanied her to the train station as they had apparently taken an interest in her case and tried to help her make a change in her life. And uh, this would also make sense if she had been taken in by a humanitarian Mm -hmm. society and, and had spent time... In a reform school, she, you know, this Women's Christian Temperance Union would have probably been somewhat familiar to her. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea what happened to Jenny after she left prison. And she may have gone back to St. Louis. I would mm-hmm. imagine that would be a safe place for her. There is the only record I could find 
there might be one that might be her. It's It was in Silverton, Idaho. There was a woman named Jenny Myers, which was her maiden name, mm. born in February 1882, and she died in July 1975. Again, that's in Silverton, Idaho. It's probably more than likely not her, especially if she went back to St. Louis. I don't know why you would come back to this place where you were, were essentially world famous for killing your husband. Mm -hmm. But that was honestly like the only lead that I could find that might have been her. Uh, you know, as a young woman, I'm sure she imagined herself having a completely different life, maybe marrying Absolutely. someone her own age. Right. She did have a baby to take care of. So who knows yeah. if if anyone, you know, if Jenny Daly was your ancestor, we would love to speak with you. Yeah. So yeah, let us know. Yeah. Do you know what happened to her child? By any I case? don't. So I, I was trying to figure that out and I meant mm. to put it on the outline and cause she had, you know, it talks about in that, that newspaper mm. article before she comes to prison that her child was there with her. Mm -hmm. I don't know if the child stayed with some friends, if she was able to give the child over to uh, some family, mm -hmm. I, but as far as I can tell her only family, yeah. Springs, yeah. Yeah. The only family was in Missouri. Mm -hmm. So it is probably more than likely that she was placed in that children's home, which is just right down was, I mean, it's a, it's a counseling center now, mm -hmm. but that was just right down the street. I would hope that she regained custody of that baby, but the, the baby was there for six years and yeah. she would have been two, probably almost three by the time this happened. Right. So by the time her mother got out, she would have been like nine, wow. eight or nine years old. And Gosh. so, yeah, it doesn't, there's no mention of what happened to her baby, to her child. But again, if, if you are descended from Charlotte mm -hmm. or any of, if Jenny went on to have an, any other children, we would absolutely love to know that. So yeah, that is that was wow. our experimental our first episode. Collaborative yeah. two entwined stories. Uh -huh. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, how I mean gonna ask you this, like how much of Jenny's story do you think had to do simply with her gender? Uh, I feel like a lot of it yeah. did. Like I feel she got away with a lot in the courtroom that you don't get anymore. Like right. I think there's that gender inequality that mm -hmm. worked in her behalf totally. for this whole trial and this whole experience because manslaughter, yeah. ah, no. that it should have, it should have been uh, one of the degrees of murder. I honestly least. almost like, feel like she had more to do with her husband's murder than Josie did. Mm -hmm. And as we know, Josie got second degree. Right. And that's the other thing that's interesting is this seems very similar to Josie's story, mm -hmm. which had only happened only a couple years before yeah, this. Yeah, 1897 Eight, or so. Yeah, something. But these are very similar cases. Yeah. And so why is it that she is getting manslaughter, Josie's getting second degree, mm -hmm. Alfred Friel is just getting second degree, and Fred is getting, you know, first. Yeah. And I do think uh, the newspaper said that, that it was actually Jenny's trial that really sealed it for him and so yeah. why her word was believed over his when mm -hmm. generally it was the other way around yeah i i, I bet her youth she's just kind of this pretty young girl this like teenage girl who's up on the stand for murder this foreigner you know mm -hmm. he's he's mm -hmm. probably seen as this this english foreigner mm -hmm. is manipulating her into this situation mm -hmm. and i bet she would collect on, uh, I don't know, collect money from his death? Would, yeah. Was that, could that have been any of the motivation? I don't right. know. <laughs> well, but that, like, I don't know. I'm just trying to think, because that's a, like, Josie, if they'd never found the body, she mm. would have probably been able to get away with that. Yeah. But this is, she doesn't even try to cover it up. She mm -hmm. doesn't even try, like... They kill him and he says, you should take the blame for this. And she says, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. So like what she was truly trying to gain from this, like, cause she's not going to get any money if, yeah. he, if she kills him. Yeah. Um, if she'd really wanted money, then, you know, there are other ways to right. do it. Yeah. Uh, other ways so to get rid of it. Or a callous reaction to I mean, abuse and that. And is it, I was going to say, is it yeah. truly love? Yeah. Um, and then she turns on him pretty quickly when he turns on her. Like it's, I mean, it's fickle. I think we, I don't think it was true love mm. just because how quickly they turn on each other. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think this is a, a very much a circumstantial relationship. Mm -hmm. 
so yeah, it's just fascinating. And I turns out I got a lot of stuff wrong in my original biography. So I appreciate the opportunity to go through this stuff again. <laughs> right. Yeah. Super interesting. I, I liked, uh, there are a couple little weird anecdotes about like the, the rumor mill that, yeah. that spreads in Boise is like, that I love that part of it. Well, and I uh, a, another thing that Jenny claimed was that Fred is actually the one who told her to pick a fight, mm-hmm. and then that would then give them a reason to shoot him. Oh yeah. Um, that basically the whole premise would be that Fred was defending Jenny's honor because how dare her husband say this stuff about her? And you know Charles was not having any of it. He was just like, I didn't say that. Fred told you to say that. Like, uh-huh. don't don't mess around with me. He is, you know, he's in his 60s and he's having to deal with this young wife. Like, I can imagine that that was frustrating for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so interesting. Oh, what a fascinating story. Yes. Good work, Sky. Oh, yeah, my gosh. Same, same to you, Anthony. <laughs> I, you know, I'm actually very thankful that our stories matched up because I get very nervous <laughs> because you're so good at researching and there's stuff where well, you're like, did this thing happen? And I'm like, I didn't even think about oh researching my gosh. that. Or like, oh, I got that detail wrong. You know, I, I wrote most of this outline about three years ago when I gave a presentation on all of the executions of the old pen and it had to be 45 minutes long. So I told 10 life and death stories in like 40 minutes. And so I went back through and tried to re-research a couple of things. And so thank you for picking up on my slack this time. Oh, I'd be like, ooh. I mean, we had the same stories to tell yes. and oh, thankfully. Yeah. But thanks you Good. guys for sticking with us. If you guys liked it, let us know, and we'll happily do more. Because I'd say I don't know. There are a lot 30, of couples. Yeah, yeah, probably twenty to thirty percent of women came in with a husband, a mm-hmm. boyfriend, someone else, a brother, yeah. uh, once or twice. So yeah, we'd definitely be interested in doing this. If you guys would like to hear it, so let us know. Let us know. All right, we'll do your own time. Do your own number. We'll see you next week. If you enjoyed Behind Gray Walls, please rate, review, and subscribe so others can find our podcast. If you're interested in more Old Idaho Penitentiary information and to see mugshots of the inmates featured in this episode, follow the Old Idaho Penitentiary on Instagram and Facebook. If you want to learn more about the Idaho State Historical Society and its other sites, follow ID State Historical Society on Instagram or visit history.idaho.gov. If you have a question or comment for the hosts, please email us at behindgraywalls at gmail.com.